Chapter Nine of Abigail Adams and Her Times by Laura Elizabeth Howe Richards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mr. Adams Abroad. In August, seventeen seventy nine, Mr. Adams returned, and all was joy. But again, the joy was short lived. There seemed really no end to the trials of these two loving hearts. In November, Mr. Adams was again ordered to France on public service and sailed in november this time he took not only john but little charles with him and abigail's heart was doubly desolate dearest of friends my habitation how desolate it looks my table i sit down to it but cannot swallow my food oh why was i born with so much sensibility and why possessing it have i so often been called to struggle with it i wish to see you again were i sure you would not be gone i could not withstand the temptation of coming to town though my heart would suffer over again the cruel torture of separation what a cordial to my dejected spirits were the few lines last night received and does your heart forebode that we shall again be happy my hopes and fears rise alternately i cannot resign more than i do unless life itself were called for my dear sons i cannot think of them without a tear little do they know the feelings of a mother's heart may they be good and useful as their father then they will in some measure reward the anxiety of a mother my tenderest love to them remember me also to mr thaxter whose civilities and kindness i shall miss god almighty bless and protect my dearest friend and in his own time restore him to the affectionate bosom of portia it was all the more lonely for mrs adams that the winter was a severe one the sublimest winter she ever saw in december and january there fell the highest snow known in forty years all through january and february the bay was frozen over so that no vessel could pass through for a month we had neither snow rain nor the least thaw it has been remarkably healthy and we have lived along very comfortably though many people have suffered greatly for food in the long winter days how eagerly mrs adams must have watched for the incoming mails i do not know what were the postal arrangements of braintree very likely there were none in boston the post office was opened every monday morning from the middle of march to the middle of september at seven of the clock to deliver out all letters that do come by post till twelve o'clock from twelve o'clock to two o'clock being dinner-time no office kept and from two o'clock in the afternoon to six o'clock the office will be open to take in all letters to go by the southern and western post a single letter cost one shilling to send this rate held to the middle of the nineteenth century besides letters the faithful portia sent to her john all the papers and newsletters she could lay hands on boston by this time had several newspapers the first of these appearing as early as seventeen o four was the boston newsletter published by authority for some time this little sheet held the field alone but in seventeen twenty one appeared the boston gazette and the new england current in both these james franklin benjamin's elder brother had a hand indeed the current was his own paper 
started when he was discharged from the staff of the gazette he seems to have been a quarrelsome fellow was twice arraigned for contempt and once imprisoned benjamin then a boy of sixteen astute from his cradle contributed by stealth to the current more or less but slipped away to philadelphia without getting into trouble these papers doubtless portia sent regularly to her john who received them as often as fate or the enemy allowed now and then mrs adams took her chaise and went into town to make some visits in boston or cambridge present my compliments to mr dana she writes tell him i have called upon his lady and we enjoyed an afternoon of sweet communion i find she would not be averse to taking a voyage should he be continued abroad she groans most bitterly and is irreconcilable to his absence i am a mere philosopher to her i am inured but not hardened to the painful portion shall i live to see it otherwise this was written in july seventeen eighty we may fancy madame abigail setting out on this expedition stately and demure in a hoop petticoat and high-heeled shoes we cannot be sure whether she wore a leghorn hat or a calash here i pause for a moment i remember a calash in my childhood it was made of thin green silk sheared on pieces of rattan or whalebone placed two or three inches apart these were drawn together at the back by a cape and thus bent into hoop shape could be drawn so far over the face as to cover it entirely the bashful bonnet the thing was called certainly no headdress ever was uglier but it must have been matchless for the complexion as madame patty says of a certain well-known soap on the whole knowing what the calash looked like i should prefer to think that madame abigail wore a leghorn hat over her fine dark hair leghorns were costly i have heard of their costing twenty-five or even fifty dollars but they lasted for years and years it was not till some years after this that american women began to make their own bonnet straw it became the rage both here and in england and women vied with each other in the amount and quality of their straw work hats and bonnets were not enough women wore straw coats or pelasses these were made of sarsnet calico or linen and ornamented profusely with straw a writer in the european magazine exclaims straw straw everything is ornamented in straw from the cap to the shoe buckles ceres is the favorite not only of the female but of the male part of the fashionable world for the gentlemen's waistcoats are ribbed with straw here is a long digression let us hope that mrs dana gave mrs adams a good dish of tea and that she went home refreshed there are but a few letters of seventeen eighty probably many were lost in october mrs adams again quotes the current prices for which her husband frequently asks you tell me to send you prices current i will aim at it corn is now thirty pounds rye twenty-seven per bushel flour from a hundred and forty to a hundred and thirty per hundred beef eight dollars per pound mutton nine lamb six seven and eight butter twelve dollars per pound cheese ten sheep's wool thirty dollars per pound flax twenty west india articles sugar from a hundred and seventy to two hundred pounds per hundred molasses forty eight dollars per gallon tea ninety coffee twelve cotton wool thirty per pound 
exchange from seventy to seventy-five for hard money bills at fifty money scarce plenty of goods enormous taxes and what were young john and charles doing far from home and mother they were studying and improving themselves in every proper way december seventeen eighty they were sent to leyden which mr adams thinks perhaps as learned a university as any in europe he notes in his diary of january seventeen eighty one john is transcribing a greek grammar of his master's composition and charles a latin one john is also transcribing a treatise on roman antiquities after dinner they went to the rector magnificus to be matriculated into the university charles was found to be too young none under twelve years of age being admitted john was admitted after making a declaration that he would do nothing against the laws of the university city or land i have to exercise stern self-control to keep from quoting too much from mr adams's diary after all it is his wife's story that i am trying to tell yet surely never were husband and wife more entirely one i must indulge myself and my readers with his account of the royal family of france at supper he did not admire queen marie antoinette as much as edmund burke did and does not scruple to say so she was an object too sublime and beautiful for my dull pen to describe i leave this enterprise to mr burke but in his description there is more of the orator than of the philosopher her dress was everything that art and wealth could make it one of the maids of honour told me she had diamonds upon her person to the value of eighteen millions of livres and i always thought her majesty much beholden to her dress mr burke saw her probably but once i have seen her fifty times perhaps and in all the varieties of her dresses she had a fine complexion indicating perfect health and was a handsome woman in her face and figure but i have seen beauties much superior both in continence and form in france england and america he goes on to describe the spectacle of the grand couvert i was selected and summoned indeed from all my company and ordered to a seat close beside the royal family the seats on both sides of the hall arranged like seats in a theatre were full of ladies of the first rank and fashion in the kingdom and there was no room or place for me but in the midst of them it was not easy to make room for one more person however room was made and i was situated between two ladies with rows and ranks of ladies above and below me and on the right hand and on the left and ladies only my dress was a decent french dress becoming the station i held but not to be compared with the gold and diamonds and embroidery about me i could neither speak nor understand the language in a manner to support a conversation but i soon had the satisfaction to find it was a silent meeting and that nobody spoke a word but the royal family to each other and they said very little the eyes of all the assembly were turned upon me and i felt sufficiently humble and mortified for i was not a proper object for the criticisms of such a company i found myself gazed at as we in america used to gaze at the sachems who came to make speeches to us in congress but i thought it very hard if i could not command as much power of face as one of the chiefs of the six nations and therefore determined that i would assume a cheerful countenance enjoy the scene around me and observe it as coolly as an astronomer contemplates the stars 
the king was the royal carver for himself and all his family his majesty ate like a king and made a royal supper of solid beef and other things in proportion the queen took a large spoonful of soup and displayed her fine person and graceful manners in alternately looking at the company in various parts of the hall and ordering several kinds of seasoning to be brought to her by which she fitted her supper to her taste when this was accomplished her majesty exhibited to the admiring spectators the magnificent spectacle of a great queen swallowing her royal supper in a single spoonful all at once this was all performed like perfect clockwork not a feature of her face nor a motion of any part of her person especially her arm and her hand could be criticized as out of order a little and but a little conversation seemed to pass among the royal personages of both sexes but in so low a voice that nothing could be understood by any of the audience the officers about the king's person brought him many letters and papers from time to time while he was at the table he looked at these some of them he read or seemed to read and returned them to the same officers who brought them or some others these ceremonies and shows may be condemned by philosophy and ridiculed by comedy with great reason yet the common sense of mankind has never adopted the rigid decrees of the former nor ever sincerely laughed with the latter nor has the religion of nations in any age approved of the dogmas or the satires on the contrary it has always overborne them all and carried its inventions of such exhibitions to a degree of sublimity and pathos which has frequently transported the greatest infidels out of themselves something of the kind every government and every religion has and must have and the business and duty of lawgivers and philosophers is to endeavour to prevent them from being carried too far mr adams is full of anxieties i am sorry to learn you have a sum of paper how could you be so imprudent you must be frugal i assure you your children will be poorly off i can but barely live in the manner that is indispensably demanded of me by everybody living is dear indeed here my children will not be so well left by their father as he was by his they will be infected with the examples and habits and tastes for expensive living without the means he was not my children shall never have the smallest soil of dishonour or disgrace brought upon them by their father no not to please ministers kings or nations at the expense of a little of this my children might perhaps ride at their ease through life but dearly as i love them they shall live in the service of their country in her navy her army or even out of either in the extremest degree of poverty before i will depart in the smallest iota from my sentiments of honour and delicacy for i even i have sentiments of delicacy as exquisite as the proudest minister that ever served a monarch they may not be exactly like those of some ministers general washington has done me great honor and much public service by sending me authentic accounts of his own and general green's last great actions they are in the way to negotiate peace it lies wholly with them no other ministers but they and their colleagues in the army can accomplish the great event i am keeping house but i want a housekeeper 
what a fine affair it would be if we could flit across the atlantic as they say the angels do from planet to planet i would dart to penn's hill and bring you over on my wings but alas we must keep house separately for some time but one thing i am determined on if god should please to restore me once more to your fireside i will never again leave it without your ladyship's company no not even to go to congress to philadelphia and there i am determined to go if i can make interest enough to get chosen whenever i return i would give a million sterling that you were here and i could afford it as well as great britain can the thirty millions she must spend the ensuing year to complete her own ruin farewell farewell i like to picture john adams as he wrote those words sitting erect at his desk his chin up his eyes flashing so i fancy he may have looked in his decent french dress in the crowd of court ladies that evening at versailles more and more as time went on did the two friends long for each other i say friends because it is their own word most of the letters begin with it abigail writes my dearest friend the family are all retired to rest the busy scenes of the day are over a day which i wish to have devoted in a particular manner to my dearest friend but company falling in prevented it nor could i claim a moment until this silent watch of the night look is there a dearer name than friend think of it for me look to the date of this letter and tell me what are the thoughts which arise in your mind do you not recollect that eighteen years have run their circuit since we pledged our mutual faith to each other and the hymeneal torch was lighted at the altar of love yet yet it burns with unabating fervor old ocean has not quenched it nor old time smothered it in this bosom it cheers me in the lonely hour it comforts me even in the gloom which sometimes possesses my mind she begs to be allowed to join him in europe i have repeatedly expressed my desire to make a part of your family but will you come and see me cannot be taken in that serious light i should choose to consider an invitation from those i love i do not doubt but that you would be glad to see me but i know you are apprehensive of dangers and fatigues i know your situation may be unsettled and it may be more permanent than i wish it only think how the words three four and five years absence sound they sink into my heart with a weight i cannot express do you look like the miniature you sent i cannot think so but you have a better likeness i am told is that designed for me gracious heavens restore me to the original and i care not who has the shadow john was fully convinced that portia would not like paris and that it would not agree with her or the children it would be most for the happiness of my family he says and most for the honor of our country that i should come home i have therefore this day written to congress a resignation of all my employments and as soon as i shall receive their acceptance of it i will embark for america which will be in the spring or beginning of summer our son is now on his journey from petersburg through sweden denmark and germany and if it please god he comes safe he shall come with me and i pray we may all meet once more you and i never to separate again 
it was about this time that a person asked mrs adams if you had known that mr adams should have remained so long abroad would you have consented that he should have gone i recollected myself a moment says portia and then spoke the real dictates of my heart if i had known sir that mr adams could have effected what he has done i would not only have submitted to the absence i have endured painful as it has been but i would not have opposed it even though three years more should be added to the number which heaven avert i feel a pleasure in being able to sacrifice my selfish passions to the general good and in imitating the example which has taught me to consider myself and family as but the small dust of the balance when compared with the great community and now the long separation was to end in december seventeen eighty two mr adams writes whether there should be peace or war i shall come home in the summer as soon as i shall receive from congress their acceptance of the resignation of all my employments which i have transmitted many ways i shall embark and you may depend upon a good domestic husband for the remainder of my life if it is the will of heaven that i should once more meet you my promises are not lightly made with anybody i have never broken one made to you and i will not begin at this time of life my children i hope will once at length discover that they have a father who is not unmindful of their welfare they have had too much reason to think themselves forgotten although i know that an anxiety for their happiness has corroded me every day of my life with a tenderness which words cannot express i am theirs and yours forever the war was over the child independence had grown to full stature and the republic took her place among the nations on the twenty first of january seventeen eighty three articles of peace were drawn up between great britain france and the united states End of chapter nine